Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. Hey everybody, Happy New Year. I'm really excited to kick off another year of episodes on the Secret Library podcast. So I wanted to take a moment just to remind you that you have until January 12th to sign up for the Coffee Shop Writers Group. That is a six-month program for writers to help you stay accountable to your writing goals so that you can really get that draft done in 2018. We have a number of amazing people who've already signed up, and I know you'll be in really good company if you join us. You can check out all the details and sign up at carolinedonahue.com slash coffee shop. And now let's get on with the show. This is episode 84. This week, my guest is Joanna Penn, who is an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of thrillers under the name J.F. Penn. She also writes inspirational nonfiction for authors and is an award-winning creative entrepreneur and international professional speaker. Her site, thecreativepen.com, is regularly voted one of the top 10 sites for writers and self-publishers. I was really excited to have Joanna on today because she has sort of both sides of the spectrum of writing both fiction and nonfiction, and has spent a big chunk of her career thinking about how to make a living as a writer, um, working on ways to be more successful as a writer, living happily and healthily as a writer. So I was really excited to kick off the new year with Joanna, and I'm sure you're going to love hearing from her as well. Hey, Joanna, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Caroline. It's lovely to be here. Yes, and I was really delighted to connect with you because I think there is maybe, I don't know, there's always a missing element, you know, in any conversation. And I think the one about writing we have talked about with um, everyone listening will remember Barry Tesler talking about how much it cost to publish a book, um, even though she was working with the press. But I think I'm really, really excited to talk about, you've written a number of guides, which we will absolutely link to in the show notes, but how to make a living with your writing. Is anyone else excited about this topic? I am. <laughs> I get excited too. And I, I mean, I really think that, you know, having spent years, people saying, you know, you have to have a proper job, um, you know, making money with what you love doing is just awesome. So I'm really glad you're excited about it too. I have to say, yeah, in reading your blog, everyone should look at Joanna's blog. It's like, if you read this blog and you're not like, hmm, I would like to be doing all of those things, then... Um, <laughs> And I don't know. I mean, I certainly was like, yes, I want to go on all these exciting research trips and it just looks amazing. So maybe we could give everyone a little bit of a background about your story because you have not always been doing this. You were once in a cubicle and writing at night and on weekends. And can you talk a little bit about the path to get from there? And then maybe we can move over to some practical advice yeah, sure. after that. 
Sure. So, um, you know, sort of winding it back, I, I did um, a, a master's degree in theology at Oxford. So I have one of these ridiculous degrees <laughs> that, um, you know, and, and it's interesting because it now comes up in my fiction. But after that, I went into business consulting, which is what you do um, when you leave Oxford, you kind of go into banking or consulting. Um, so I went into consulting. And then what they, they put me on was um, accounts payable. So completely randomly after university, I ended up um, implementing accounts payable payable systems into large corporates. And it is about as interesting as it sounds. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up doing that for 13 years. Now, the crazy thing is, and I'm Bless sure yeah, I'm sure listeners can can relate, you know, my goals at first were pay off my student loan, and then, um, you know, do what you're meant to do by 30, which is like buy a house and, uh, you know, all the responsible things that people say you should do, because I'm a good girl, you know, I'm sure like many people listening. And but what happened, you know, I kind of got into my 30s. And and I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like I was, I got to the point where I was crying at my job. Now I was paid very well um, and I like money and we'll come back to that. And so I was, paid, <laughs> I was paid well. And this was a decent job. You know, it's not like they were whipping me and making me go down the mines. Um, you know, I was in a nice office and blah, blah, blah. But it was like spiritually miserable, creatively stilted. And all of my writing was business documents and, um, you know, uh, sort of technical specifications. And I just didn't know what I was doing with my life. So I started reading self-help books and Americans are great at this. Um, you know, I started reading. I know, we can't stop. <laughs> You guys are brilliant. So, you know, I was like mainlining Tony Robbins, who, you know, is a bit out there, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to change my life and started listening to audio. So, you know, I think audio and podcast are so powerful. And I started changing my mindset and I set an, um, an, an affirmation. This was around the time of the secret as well, which was oh, yes. you know, that big sort of, you know, set your intention and, um, you know, the law of attraction. But the important thing I think with the law of attraction is action. And so I set my affirmation, which was, I I am creative. I am an author. And I wrote that down in 2006 and I was not creative and I was not an author and I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't even say it out loud. So, you know, what I would say to people like affirmations are very powerful. And it took me about two years of sort of saying it in my head before I could say it out loud. And now I, you know, my website is the creative pen. I kind of own, own that now, but it was so funny. So that's so 2006. And then I got the idea that I would write my own self-help book. And that turned into my first nonfiction fiction book, Career Change, um, which came out in 2008. And I learned at, at that point about marketing. So I started a blog, The Creative Pen. And then I did NaNoWriMo. I know you've talked about NaNoWriMo on the show in 2009. And my first novel came out in 2011. Uh, I left my job in 2011 to go full time. And in 2015, my husband left his job to join my business and sort of fast forwarding. Now I have I actually have 29 books at this point um, with oh across, God, amazing. <laughs> across three author names. Uh, so nonfiction, thrillers, and then I also write sweet romance with my mom. And, um, and basically now, yeah, I make a multi six figure income from my writing. And, you know, that's what, what obviously what we're going to talk about. But I also love what I do. And, you know, I kind of look back at the, the woman who sat in the toilet cubicle, you know, weeping over her miserable life. <laughs> and, you know, and I was never going to give up the money. That's the other thing. I wanted money and an awesome career and so doing something I love. And it, it's taken, as we talk, I guess, you know, at the beginning of 2018, it's taken 12 years. Um, and obviously you have to give up things to make room for these other things in your life. But, you know, I'm, I'm just super happy and very excited about what you can do as a creative entrepreneur. Oh my God. Amazing. 
So let's break this down. I mean, everyone should know that there are her guides are very clear and really helpful. And then we're going to link to those because there's not just about this particular topic, there are other ones. So I think I predict if I'm going to have affirmations, I think we will probably have you back to talk about other ones, Joanna. Sure. Um, but I think we take it one topic at a time. And as our, you know, begin the year with a bang thought, let's start with some of the sort of structural and individual break it down topics. Because I know at least individual writers who who write to me when they've listened to the show, they're like, it's so helpful. Help me. It helps me keep going with my novel. And one of the things that I think is most striking and important, the indie publishing versus the traditional publishing angle is something we should get into. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, if I may, I think the, the most important thing is that people make a decision and the decision that they make will actually guide them in terms of their publishing and their marketing. And that decision is what is your definition of success? for this book and for the next five years and for the next, you know, what do you want your life to look like? Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned there about the trips I go on and um, and when I sat down and I did that affirmation, uh, you know, sort of 12 years ago, part of it was thinking about the life I wanted to lead. And the, the things I wrote down, and I'm an introvert like you and like many listeners, I'm sure, I love reading. So when I wrote down what I wanted, it was, I want to write, I want to read, and I want to travel. And, and on my wall, I also... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, awesome life. And and I also, um, I measure my life by what I create. So those principles, um, also, I everything has to be scalable. So for example, I don't want to have employees, I don't want to have a physical bookstore, I don't want to, you know, have to live in one particular place. So these, these sort of big life principles can really help people decide what they want. So one of my principles was, I will not be poor. Um, well, I didn't phrase it like that. It was, I will be a wealthy author. So that's another one. Um, so I think since we're talking about money, and, you know, just to be clear, it's not the be all and end all, but we are talking about it. So people have to decide, I am going to make money with my writing. And how much money is that? Is that $25,000? Is that 50, 100, 300 million? Uh, What's so amazing about being a creator is you can pretty much make the money that you want it's there's so many people wanting to buy let's just call it content (laughs) in different forms so that's you know sort of taking it right back to first principles you need to make the decision as a creator whether you're going to make money and how much money you want to make and how you want your life to look and what you're going to do for that money um and if you decide those things that that will like set you along the way and will help you later on when it comes to making decisions so let's just be very clear up front if you want to write if you want to win the pulitzer prize or you want to win a literary prize or you're a poet and you want to win poetry prizes, that is kind of incompatible with making a six-figure income as a writer. So you have to decide, you know, do you want the literary prize or do you want uh, E.L. James's $150 million? (laughs) I know so much. And no, I think it's a really, I think that's a really good point because the timeline of writing a a pretty serious literary novel could be five years start to finish. I mean, and that's sometimes short, you know, that you're sort of writing it really, really, really with all of this mindset on craft and, and 
tortured. And then you're going through, as you discuss in the book, you know, you're finding an agent, you're finding a press that'll help you. You know, it's a very, very slow process. Yeah. And not just that, uh, most literary novels don't sell many copies. So even um, those that are Booker Prize nominated usually sell less than 5,000 copies. And in fact, there's evidence that books that are nominated for literary prizes sell even fewer copies because many readers are put off by it being a difficult book. Now, you know, the, I guess that, you know, I'm I'm a literary lover, you know, I, I love books in all forms. Um, I think you have to make that decision. As you say, if you're going to spend five years on one book that may not make you even $5,000, um, then your choice is to focus on craft. Now, I absolutely focus on craft as well, but um, by writing stories, uh, focusing on stories, focusing on satisfying a reader and giving entertainment entertainment or information that satisfy the reader. It's a very different viewpoint than mainly literary fiction is often an, a deeper exploration within yourself. And you don't often even think about the reader when you're writing literary fiction. So again, it's a very different mindset. Are you focusing on writing something that somebody wants to buy? Or are you focusing on developing your own uh, internal self? Yeah. And I think that one of the things that we we see is that they have something to learn from each other, sort of literary fiction and genre fiction, which I, I always bristle at the term genre fiction because I read a lot that could be con- you know considered that, but that has really wonderful literary qualities to it. So I think they both kind of get sort of shoved off to their other side, but they each have something to learn from each other. I don't know if you've ever read Ben... Uh, I'm turning around and looking at behind myself at my bookshelf, but Ben Percy wrote a book, um, which I will include in the show notes because I can't think of the name right now because, um, but it was about how everybody needs to learn from each other. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I totally agree with you. But actually, uh, literary fiction is a genre. Um, basically, these days, a genre is a category on Amazon. So exactly. if you go on Amazon, yeah, literary fiction is a genre. You know, it's just the way it is. The difference is, I mean, in Britain, we call it commercial fiction, which means uh, a fiction that actually sells copies. <laughs> so, you know, that, right. that's kind of important. But I mean, what we're talking about here is 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 the type of book that, you know, going deeper already into the type of book. But as I say, you know, I've, I've written a lot of books and you, you, you know, that is another principle of making a living with your writing is you have to write more than one book. So you can do all these things. Uh, you know, I've written, um, you, you know, very different books. Each of my books is, is quite different. Um, you know, a, a, some of my fiction is considered quite literary. Other, other of my nonfiction, like you're mentioning how to make a living with your writing is a very practical, um, short, non-fiction book. So the point is that as writers, we can write everything. And this is a very freeing notion. Um, and the point is you can write lots of different types of books and each one of those has a chance to reach a different audience. So this is the other thing. It's like, don't focus everything on this one book. You will become a better writer when you write more books <laughs> and you will also reach more readers with more books and you can experiment. Um, so that's that would be another principle, you know, once you've sort of decided on what your goal is, is to focus on creating more books and also more products. So we can come to that in a minute, but, you know, different types of things with your writing. Yes, definitely. It's so easy to get so hooked on one book or that you're working on. You're like, oh, I'm going to go on this one. Then you have the whole fear of 
is this any good? Is it going to happen? Is anyone going to like it? You know, rather than just like keep writing books. And yes, going. and that's the fun part. I mean, this is the thing. It's so fun writing books. I love writing books. That's why I do it. I've actually, as we're talking in December 2017, I have three books out this month, um, one for each of my pen names. Um, and actually, what I love most is is the writing and the creating of the work. So what is wonderful about thinking of being a writer and having multiple streams of income is each of, you know, the, the book as the baby metaphor to me is quite stretched when you get past three or four books. <laughs> um, so I have the book as employee metaphor, which is, you know, you have the more books you write, the more each of these books is out there bringing you customers, bringing you money, um, you know, reaching readers all over the world. Uh, you know, it, that's a kind of different mindset to each book is, is it's, a, you know, sort of, you know, the one book is the one that has to make you everything. And in, ter in terms of the people will judge me and think it's terrible and my self-doubt that will never change <laughs> that happens every time and it happens for people who write hundreds of books uh you just learn to live with that and get them out there and and the chance is that the next book will be the one that people like <laughs> exactly also i just have to say as a side note i think it's so adorable that your last name is pen and yet you have <laughs> pen names Yes, I know. It's funny. It is my real name. I didn't make it up. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's so great. So let's talk about how you write all of these books, because you do have a great thing in your book and then also in the author mindset, but about, you know, staying inspired and staying because I think people listening will be like, oh, my God, I'm working on this one book. I've been working on it as I myself have been working on a book for a year. You know, how do you stay inspired and keep coming up with ideas and then write enough books that you have enough employees to make this all work. <laughs> sure. So I think, um, and I do remember back to when I was working that day job and I never thought I would ever have an idea. I didn't even think I would ever write fiction. Uh, it was something that I thought other people did. Um, but what I found with ideas is that it's a, it's a bit like a, a pipe. So creativity is a bit like a pipe. Um, and uh, you have to consume in order to produce. Now, most people in life spend their time consuming. So they watch TV and movies and they read books and they, you know, look at podcasts or, you know, YouTube and they consume, but they don't produce. Now, what happens then is you kind of get uh, blocked up and, uh, you know, there are lots of things out there and you think you can't be original. And, you know, th there are different forms of blocks, obviously, but consuming is very important. But then the second half is creating, producing. So it's turning what you consume into, into ideas and produce it and it's also noticing so for example I went to I was in San Francisco um a couple like last month and I specifically went uh, to get over jet lag before doing a conference but I went to you know walked around the city looking for things that would go into a book that I'm going to write on San Francisco now I don't know what I didn't know what it, the idea was. I just knew that by consuming San Francisco, by walking around and looking, I would find things. So um, street art on a wall of this kind of running dragon up in the, the Haight-Ashbury area. I was like, that's cool. That's going in something. I was in this um, a columbarium where they have the bones. It's the only columbarium, I think, you know, on the West Coast. That's going in a book. I don't know how it will, but it's noticing things that you're drawn to, writing those things down, and then 
you know, seeing where they fit. That's how I work with um, with fiction. It's kind of like just becoming a magpie. Um, that noticing is so important and you have to train yourself. So for example, if you're going to an art gallery or you're reading a book, you actually write down the things you notice um, while you're doing that. So you're consuming and producing. And then it is there is some form of discipline involved, which is, okay, I am going to finish this this project and then I will I have loads of more ideas for other projects and you know the problem becomes sifting through which ideas to do next um, but basically then it's about sitting down and doing the work and like all writers I sit down and do the work I go to a cafe I spend you know two two and a half hours doing my words um, and then turning those into a book so it is a combination of the kind of more spiritual and writing practice the craft the inspiration the creativity and then the practicality of turning that into a product that people can can buy. Yes. I want to come full circle to the to the turning it into a product, but I do want to spend a minute because I I can sense from how you referenced it that you have this great system is in terms of how you ca- um, how you capture these ideas and then how you keep track of them because you mentioned both things and Evernote in your book. And I'm like, how are you using it? I must know. Yeah, sure. So things app is like my secret weapon. Absolutely. So it's an app it's on Mac, um, but I'm sure there's um, windows equivalents. So it's on my phone, which I think is really important. And I take a lot of pictures as well. So for example, that street art in um, San Francisco, I took pictures. And when I was in the Columbarium, I go around taking pictures of all kinds of stuff because I'm very visual. I do put those on Pinterest. um, And I know you use Instagram and I've started using Instagram. Um, So you can collect that information that actually turns into marketing as you go and people were like oh you're writing a book on this that's very cool so things uh, so pictures are one things app I just type down um, just one liners so I've got a folder called um, fiction ideas uh, which and it syncs to my Mac so that's really handy because um, you know I just kind of pick up things so for example I've just opened it up I've got syndava the word syndava which you probably mm-hmm. like this um, synthetic cadavers that twitch <gasps> and bleed like real humans I was like okay that's cool (laughs) I don't know what I'm gonna do with that but But I've got to do something yeah I've got to do something with that so these are things they're making for doctors and I'm like well maybe that will maybe that will go in a book maybe that's a short story I don't know where the hell that will end up but um I just write down little things that I find or Nate like I passed a pub called the sign of the angel I wrote that down you know all these things like little things you can write down quotes but because I put them in an app um I know I can find them again and then Evernote I save articles to Evernote so if I find you know like um with San Francisco and with New Orleans, for example, articles on voodoo, um, I would save those in Evernote so I can go back and find them again. And then I also have journals. So I have a lot of moleskin journals um, and I write down my thoughts that way. And what's so, I think what's important to remember too is you, I mean, you can always hunt through all of these things for ideas, but what I tend to find is the stuff that doesn't go away uh, is the stuff you need to create. And the other thing is, I don't know if you've read Big Magic by Elizabeth oh, Gilbert. Yes. Yeah, amazing book, right? And she has a great example of an idea that came to her and she gave it away, like it, it left her 
the idea left her and became Anne Patchett's, one of Anne Patchett's books. Yeah, State um, of Wonder. I love that. Yeah, story. State of Wonder or something. Yeah. And so th- I think that's very interesting. So, for example, I've got, I've already got about six novels I need to write to satisfy my readers across different things. But I was watching a documentary on a volcano expedition and I was just like, I can't get this out of my head. I need to write it. So in my, in my calendar tomorrow, and I know you schedule as well, schedule your time. It's so important. So I've actually scheduled a three hour block to rewatch this program and with my dictaphone actually talk about what, why I'm interested in this story and to come up with even just a couple of pages of notes that potentially might turn into something. But I'm so taken by this, by consuming this documentary that I want to see what it could turn into. So I just encourage people to try and tap into the things that make you excited or interested. And they may be things that are not socially acceptable. So for example, I love graveyards. I love anatomy museums and body parts and all these things turn up in my books. Um, and I write on the dark end of the spectrum, you know, for, for my fiction, J.F. Penn. But by really tapping into that, you will find incredible inspiration. Oh, and the other thing I'd say to the literary fans is I was, you know, because I went to Oxford and that's why I mentioned it. You know, I was I for years, I thought I had to write a literary novel in order to be a quotation marks proper writer. And then I realized that because I hated my job, I was mainlining thrillers at lunchtime every day. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to write thrillers so people can escape their miserable lives, <laughs> which is awesome. So just, you know, really don't feel guilty about what you're interested in. Don't feel guilty about what you read. Uh, Just lean into that and you will find myriad ideas. Oh, I think so. I think so. I love thrillers too. I love Mm. detective stuff, all of it. So you've gotten to this point, which is a very inspiring point. And then let's go to the, I mean, how many books are you writing at a time? That's one question I have. And you started out and you were writing in the, you know, in the evenings and on weekends. And you, you did that for about four years. Is that, mm. is that correct? And then you were able to leave um, the job. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, how much writing you had to do, like how many books you had to have out and all that process of being able to sort of leave. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I'm sure everyone all... is like, tell us how to leave. <laughs> Yeah, let's, okay, so just on the how many books do I write at a time, I try and control myself around writing just one for each of my pen names. So I have three names and I try and write just one for each name at a time. Um, what's very wonderful with being um, an indie author, independent author, and we, we can always circle back to that, is that I publish the books as soon as I'm, I've done. So that's very cool because it gets it out my head. You know, it doesn't sit around while, while somebody tells me to do rewrites. You know, I work with editors, professional editors, and then I put my book out. It's done. I can move on. <laughs> so th- that's kind of how I do it then. So winding the clock back, and this is a very important concept. So let's talk about multiple streams of income. It is very, very hard to make a living just with book sales alone. It is very hard. I think it's the statistic is something like 5% of authors make a living from book sales alone. And most of those people who do it are authors published in the 60s and 70s, 80s, because the traditional publishing contracts back then were quite different and they built up a career. So I was at Thriller Fest earlier this year and Lee Child, who writes the Jack Reacher novels, said um, and was quoted in the New York Times as well, you cannot have a career 
career like his anymore. You cannot. The, the, the market has changed so much that what was possible back then is not possible now. So you have to, like being a musician is very different. Like being a, you know, a painter is very different. Being an author is also different. So let's circling back to the multiple streams of income. When I left my job in 2011, I had, I think I had four books at the time, but I also had a blog and some of the other forms of income that I make are product sales. So I had some courses on how to self-publish, for example. Um, I had um, affiliate income, which is making uh, a commission on sale. So for example, um, you know, I promote your course and I get a percentage if someone buys through my link or I promote um, Vellum, which is an, this awesome um, formatting tool for eBooks. And I get a percentage if someone buys that software. So that's affiliate income. I was also at the time doing professional speaking. So I was running my own events, teaching people how to self-publish. So remember that anything you know, you are going to be one step ahead of the class. Um, you know, if, if you've written one book, you can teach people about writing a book. <laughs> you know, if you've, if you've self-published a book, you can teach people how to do that. You know, there's lots of things you know that you can teach and teaching, especially at this point in our history, people are desperate to learn. So um, I was speaking in person. I was selling courses online, uh, freelance writing. So a lot of people do freelance writing or ghostwriting. Uh, so I have, for example, I have someone who writes blog posts for my fiction blog um, and I pay her so she's making money that way as well as writing novels um, you can also get sponsorship so you and I both have podcasts um, and I have a sponsor for my podcast uh, I didn't at the time in in 2011 but but essentially I I was not relying on one book or even four books um, now this is also where your your definition of success comes in so I started um, you know, I still, I mean, right now I make a good living from my fiction and my nonfiction books, but it's not a hundred percent of my income by any means. So, but I do make, uh, I think it's four times the national salary in the UK from book sales alone. So <laughs> it's pretty good. And as well I said, done. I have, yeah, I have like 29 books. So the general rule of thumb, um, at this point in history, if you are self-publishing in a sustainable way, which is putting out more than one book a year, writing in a series, pricing your books decently, you can make $50,000 a year if you have around 20 books. Now that may freak people out, <laughs> but it gets quicker. So just, just to be clear, it took me 2006 to 2008 to do my first book. Um, and then, so 2011, five years later, I had four books. And then we are, what, another six years later, and now I have 29 books. So you definitely speed up. Yeah, that's some good math. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, I've actually done eight books this year, but five of them are co-written, which means 50% um, of the revenue is mine and 50% is my co-writers. So this is another secret weapon that a lot of indie authors are doing now is co-writing within the same series means that you kind of halve the work um, on, on books. So instead of publishing one a year, you can publish two a year, or instead of two, you can do four. Um, and that all helps um, with keeping readers happy. Because I don't know about you, but you know, as soon as you get a book from an author you like, like, how quickly are you finished? <laughs> oh, yeah, very quickly. And then yeah, you're like, wait, like, yeah, yeah. where's the next one? So that's what happens. As soon as you write books that people love to read, you get an email the next day says, where's the next one? <laughs> you're like, I'm working on it. And no, that's yeah. so funny, because there's nothing greater 
than finding a new series when you're at book one and there's like nine more ahead of you. It's so great. But when you find one and you're like at book three and then that's it, and then you have to wait, you know, a year or yeah, whatever. You get really the next annoyed. one, you're just like, oh, it's heartbreaking. Exactly. And what's what's so interesting, especially in this era of binge consumption, you know, like with Netflix, like the whole series will drop and you then spend the next, you know, three days watching Stranger Things 2 or, you know, whatever. <laughs> this this is what readers, readers are becoming like this. So a couple of, you know, sort of very practical things for writers is writing in a series is almost critical if you want to make a living which is again why literary writers struggle because they generally don't write in series they write standalone books so um if people are into a series character they will buy the whole backlist so if they as you say if they discover you at book nine they may well buy the whole nine and i have nine books in my arcane thriller series now and and so what happens every time you put a new book out the amount of revenue you can make is a lot more also you can do box sets so this is you know i make 70 percent of my fiction revenue on Kobo and iBooks is through box sets, mm -hmm. uh, which are basically three books or more books put into one ebook file and also print. I do print box sets and um, then people get a discount. So instead of paying $4.99 for three books, so $15, they might pay $8.99 and get a really good deal. But you still, if you self-publish, you get 70%. So you still make seven bucks and it's like, okay, that's awesome. And, and that reader, because they're a binge reader, may well be much more of a fan. So it's kind of, and what's so interesting as well is that box sets are a different reader market than individual books. So you don't even cannibalize your sales of the individual books. Um, you actually... Uh, you know, have double the number of sales. And also audiobooks are another great um, revenue stream. And audiobook box sets are huge right now because people get um, a credit and they want good value for their audio credit. So right. one of my um, box sets, the London Psychic Thriller box set, that just does incredibly well with audio because it's a, like 24 hours of audiobook. Oh my God, that's a, that's an amazing thing. Yeah, for anyone who's stuck in a bad drive or a bad commute, that's yeah. pure gold. <laughs> well, the, you know, the, my nonfiction also, what's interesting, fiction listeners are are sensitive to length, but nonfiction uh, listeners aren't. So How to Make a Living with Your Writing, I think is like three hours and that is it is my best-selling um, audiobook. So it, it, these markets are so interesting, but when you have more books and when you can actually exploit those intellectual property rights, you get a very interesting sort of mix of readers and how people find you. And, and that's, that's just super exciting. Definitely. So are you doing the audiobooks? I recorded one and then I was just like, this is so much hard work. <laughs> I did one. So now I um I hire professional studio, professional narrators. But um you can uh you know independently publish audio through acx.com, um, which is you know fantastic. So as independent authors now, we can do ebook, print, and audiobook. And because most purchases now, most book purchases are made online in any format, you can, you know, you you're just you know, sort of at the same level as, as any other author, basically. So, but you can get more money for it, which is cool. Yes. <laughs> now, Scott Carney, who was on the show a while ago, he did, he talked about doing his own audiobook recording, like in the closet in his place, you know, and <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's up on Audible, like anybody else's and um, yeah. sort of fun. Because the other thing too, you mentioned Big Magic and having, I immediately read the print book when it came out, but went back and <clears throat> more recently, 
listen to it. And it was a completely different experience. So I think oh, yeah. having both options, you know, people don't necessarily just want a book in print that they really you're, enjoy. You're totally right. And what's interesting with eBooks is, um, well, with with nonfiction, I think particularly if people buy the eBook and they like it, they will buy the print book to have on their shelf. And the same as you say, like I have some books in eBook, print, and audio, um, all nonfiction. I don't have any fiction in those three formats. But the other great thing, what I'm doing with um, my sweet romance with my mum is we've done large print fiction. So and and with nonfiction, doing workbooks. So don't just think there are three formats. So with print books. I've got um, so there's a you know um, successful author mindset workbook which has you know you can actually write in which is another product. Um, there's an audiobook. Um, there's the large print. There's all the different ebook formats you can do. So it's it's this is the kind of mindset shift too. It's turning one manuscript into multiple streams of income. And then of course um, you know the other thing is global. Um, and thinking global is another mindset shift. Now, sometimes I think Americans struggle with this. <laughs> well, that's, that's fair. That's fair, all good. Um, but basically, you know, I've now sold books in 86 countries in the world. And that's many more than most traditionally published authors because um, publishers do territorial rights. So if you sign away World English to a publisher, they are they will not publish you in, in the world. They will publish you in maybe four or five markets or 13 or, you know, not everywhere. Whereas if you own the rights, you can publish all over the world. And what's so fascinating now is growth in markets that are adopting mobile first economy. So sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, um, you know, China, uh, Latin America, these are places where the digital boom has only just started. So in America, the digital um, online shopping boom, you know, is pretty mature. Um, but in these other markets, it's only just beginning. So the growth in the next 10 years is going to be the global market. Uh, so, you know, just a word to people who have signed any rights, you know, maybe you, you sign a with a publisher for US, Canada, well, then self-publish in the UK, in Australia, you know, in the rest of the world, um, or vice versa. So very exciting, wherever you are, is, is thinking about global, digital, mobile, and long term. And also in other languages, because you have published in other languages at this point, correct? Yes, I have. But I'm actually I've pulled back on that because, as I said, the markets are very um, are developing and it's quite a big investment to do that in other languages. So I actually I'm, I'm a bit of a futurist and there's massive development in AI translations right now. I actually think, you know, already there are people using AI to do nonfiction translations. So I think within the next five years, we're going to see AI translation for let's say nonfiction and, you know, paperback style fiction, anything that is very literary or poetry or where nuance is important, you will have a sort of um, artisan translation market where the books might be more expensive, but you have, you know, a, a very talented translator. So I think we're looking at a technology shift in so many areas. Um, so I, right now, I would not recommend self-publishing in translation. Got it. Yeah, it's interesting. The reason I bring it up is because in speaking with a, a guest recently, there is a big 
market in Germany for books and mysteries written by women. They love women authors over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And a huge crime market. But also to remember that, like most many educated Europeans speak English. And, you know, when I'm talking about selling books in 86 countries, though, that is all in English. So you don't have to translate to sell your books everywhere. Um, You know, a lot of European countries are just English. And in in fact, in I don't know if, you know, if people understand this, but in Britain, the, the British market is around 68 million people. That's total population, not readers. Um, the uh, population, the English speaking educated Indian population with money is double that. The same in Pakistan, the same in China. So there are more English speaking book buyers in these other countries than there are in Britain. Uh, speaking English and buying English. And that to me is very, very exciting. That is really exciting. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh so just, just another. I mean, I know we we we. I have lots of ideas, but I wanted to give your um your listeners a couple more. So one is um length of book. Mm. I think this is something very important because um the standard size of a book that you would be asked to write for a publisher will depend on genre, but it's also dependent on spine size on a bookshelf. So most publishers want a ninety thousand word novel, for example, because anything smaller doesn't look good enough on the shelf. So this is a a new thing. I mean, if you look at Hemingway, if you look at some of the writers around that that period, the books are very short. I mean, you you know, we've all probably got some on our shelves. But what's happened is the length has been increased because of physical bookstores. But that doesn't matter when the majority of books are online. So, um, uh, you know, in talking about how to make a living with your writing, as I said, it sells a lot of copies. It's 25,000 words. Um, I have novellas, um, uh, One Day in Budapest, for example, or One Day in New York, they're 27,000 words. So this is the thing. It's really thinking about um and then when you put books together in a box set you know you can make them longer and more value so it's changing your mindset around what length a book has to be and in fact if it's around twenty five thousand words it's fine in paperback <laughs> i mean it really is it's completely fine it just doesn't stand out amongst a sea of other books um, but it looks exactly the same online so i would challenge people if you're struggling to write your 90,000 word, you know, magnum opus, consider writing a, a novella for at 25,000 words or write a short nonfiction book about, you know, whatever you did last summer or, you know, what, what can you help people with? Um, so that, I think that's super important. And that will also help you to get these ideas out of your head. It doesn't have to be a full book length. It can be shorter. And then I, it makes me think of like, if we're going way back in time to books that we now look at as hugely long, like Dickens or Russian books, those were originally published in episodic, much That's smaller serious. chunks. Exactly. And it's so funny with Dickens. It's, uh, I find it hilarious because Dickens was was hawking his wares around Britain. I mean, he was just a, a constant marketer. And also he was mainstream. You know, we think of him as this literary great now, but he was mainstream, as you say, publishing in newspapers, in penny newspapers to the mass market, which is why his characters are so good. But But this is the way to think. It's changing our mindset around you know, what is a popular book? Yes. I mean, I think the other thing is you think about somebody who's doing something like that nowadays um, that people will know is Alexander McCall Smith, who publishes in the New Scotsman newspaper. 
and it's a little serial and then it gets collected into a book once a year. Oh yeah, he's so funny. But interestingly about um about Alexander, he's a very very good speaker. Um oh, and this is a good speaker. So oh, good. He's, he's so funny and I mean he kills it around the world because most authors are very boring <laughs> um, when they festivals and it's another good tip you know when we're talking about professional speaking if you are going to be a successful writer you will have to speak and this might be scary for introverts and actually I wrote a book on public public speaking for introverts but it's it's actually true I think it's you would probably agree it's true right if you are successful as a writer you will have to speak at a festival on a podcast um, at an event so learning about these things that you will need to do when you're successful actually can really help along the way and you can stand out if you are a good speaker yes definitely and I will say to anyone who's currently quaking in their boots as an introvert I find public speaking way easier I would rather give a speech than be dropped in the middle of a cocktail party with a bunch yeah. of people I don't know because the, exactly. rules, the rules are so clear. I talk, you listen, and then I stop and you ask questions and I answer them. Like, so clear. You don't have to worry about it. So Yeah, and also everyone knows your name and then everyone comes to talk to you. So you don't actually have to go and talk to anyone. <laughs> no, exactly. You never have that thing. You're sitting in the corner going, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go hide in the toilets. Yeah. So I think, yes, I think all of this is really important. I think that we have more to talk about is what I think we've gotten, we're, we're getting to the end of the show and I'm so sad. I, th <laughs> I think we'll just have to come back and talk about this more, but I, I think to sum up what I think is important for people to consider at this point is to think about like, do you really want to get out of, um, of your current, you know, work situation and be able to write all the time? If, in, if that is the case, it is possible. I wonder if you could take a minute, Joanna, because I think at the end, you, you mentioned something at the beginning, which I think is really important for people to hear more than once, is that you, when you started and said, I am an author, I'm a successful author, you had never written a book and you, you didn't know how that was going to happen. So could you say a little bit about how that transformed for you? Like the affirmation to reality type Yeah, thing. when you were back and you were doing accounts receivable and you said, you know what, this is killing me, I'm crying in the bathroom. I, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer and you hadn't written a book at that point. So what happened then you were just like, I'm going to sit down and write this book. If you could talk a little bit about the shift from like, Oh, I couldn't possibly do this to I have 29 books. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I think the metaphor for me is a bit like uh, skiing since we're now, well, you're in LA, right? But, but the, um, you know, it, we're in the winter time over here. Um, and, you know, you, you want to get to the bottom of the hill, um, but you, you, maybe you're not very good at it yet. Um, and you have to zigzag along the way and you're going to fall over, but you have a general direction. And so it's getting started before you know what you're doing. Like there's no point waiting to kind of ski brilliantly down a hill. You actually have to do it and learn it and become better. And it takes time. So I think, um, the, like I said, that first shift really is a mindset shift. It's, I am going to do this. I am creative. I am an author and, you know, I am a wealthy author and, you know, I'm a seven figure author or I'm a six figure author or whatever you want that to be. And then it's like, um, you know, if you read books around mindset and affirmation and psychology, I know you've done some psychology. Um, it is very much that there are millions and millions of things that our brains could pay attention to in the world. But if you tell your brain that you want it to pay 
attention to certain things, then you start seeing them. It's like, don't think of an elephant and everyone thinks of an elephant. So once you set your mind to something, then things appear. So I'm sure that this conversation, some people listening were ready to hear this from your show at this point. And maybe some of them will buy my book and then it will be like, oh, this is how you do or come over to my podcast. It's like the people who are ready to hear the message will hear it. And the same way, what happened to me once I made that decision, I was like, I am leaving my job. A lot of people love their jobs, but I did not. And I wanted to get out. I wanted to be a creative um, person. I didn't think I would write fiction back then, as I said, but I sat down to write my own self-help book. Um, and essentially I made the time. So that's another thing is um, I used to get up at 5 a.m. and write. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing at all but I just used to study other people's books and kind of model them. That's really important too. It's finding people to model yourself on who are making money and writing the things you want to write. Um, and then, yeah, it, and it, pretty much scheduling and timed writing will get you to the end of a book. <laughs> so, you know, sit down every day for an hour or half an hour or two hours or whatever you can, you will have a first draft after a certain amount of time. And then it's about taking that forward. So yeah, sort of winding it back, it literally was making a decision and then scheduling time to put that into action. So if if I am a writer, then I better be blooming writing <laughs> and, not, and not just, you know, reading. I mean, I, I was in that phase for probably five years, going to writing festivals, buying books on writing, listening to writing podcasts and not actually writing. <laughs> So this is a big deal. Sit down. If, if you're one of those people right now and I just made you feel guilty, sit down, set your timer for 20 minutes and write, put words on the page. I mean, literally, you have to do that. Yes. <laughs> and then it's just, uh, you know, do that again and again. Absolutely. Well, it has been fantastic talking to you, Joanna. And I'm, I know everyone's going to get so much out of this conversation. I hope everybody just runs out grabs their timer with great gusto and starts <laughs> plowing away because we need more books. So I hope that if you're listening, that we'll get to see yours before too long. Oh yeah, I absolutely believe that. And actually this is, um, someone on my podcast said, this is, should be called the pen principle, right? So my principle is everyone in the world should write a book because if you write a book, you read thousands time, you know, more books than you create. So every person who writes a book will just buy loads more books. So if we, if we all did that, we would just have this massive self-sustaining industry that would be awesome. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> so get everyone to write a book. But um, yes, happy creating everybody. And remember, this should be fun. Like, you know, this should be fun. This is like your two-year-old going out and having fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Oh, no worries. Thanks so much, Caroline. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.